listening to episode 52 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lambert. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today we're talking with David Swanson, author of Rediscipling the White Church. David is the founding pastor of New Community Covenant Church, a multiracial congregation on the south side of Chicago. He also serves as the CEO of New Community Outreach, a nonprofit organization working to reduce causes of trauma and raise opportunities for equity in Chicago. He previously served as the director of church planting for the Evangelical Covenant Church. David and his wife Maggie have been married for 21 years and have two amazing sons. This has been one of the most difficult podcast conversations for Josh and I to record and to work through, and and me in particular. This book that we're getting ready to discuss with David Swanson has challenged me deeply, probably one of the most challenging books that I have ever read. And we approach this topic of racism with real fear and intrepidation in our heart because we understand how important and emotional this conversation can be. It's also one of the reasons why we thought we should deal with this conversation in one episode. So rather than dividing our conversation up into four or five different chapters, we're releasing this entire hour-long conversation in one episode. So I hope you guys will be patient with us and go on this journey as we work through this incredibly difficult issue. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's good to be talking with you about your book, Rediscipling the White Church, um, From Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. I got to admit, this book came across my email from IVP a couple, maybe a couple months ago now, and I saw it, and we've been wanting to deal with this issue on the podcast. We hate dealing with this issue on the podcast, full disclosure, just because we hate that we have to. Um, Well, and there's just so many conversations that are better, like, face-to-face, in person with somebody. If you're just listening to an audio conversation. Yes, it's very difficult. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of nuance that can get lost. Lots of nuance. Man, that's a great word. We're going to talk about that word, too, coming up, because I think that is the magic word that we really need to be talking about. Um, But if I can be honest, then, I also thought, oh, well, you know— he, this is a white guy. I don't really know if three white guys should be right. sitting around talking <laughs> right. about racial issues and, and yep. stuff like that. After I actually read your book, though, I I realized, wow, this is actually a great conversation that we as white people sitting around the same table need to be talking about. And so yeah. I thank you for this book because it's given um, us some language that I didn't have before, honestly, to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. So, um, But let's start off with why you wrote the book. Where did this book come from and why did you decide to write it? Yeah, this is, uh, to be totally honest, this is not the book that I kind of wanted to, to write. I was talking with IVP about a different uh, project. I have pastored a multiracial uh, church here in Chicago for about a decade now. And so I, I mean, just to be really frank, I haven't thought a lot about predominantly white ministries or white churches for about a decade. Just I, my energies and attentions have needed to be elsewhere. I've had to learn a whole lot about the particular context that God has called me to. Um, but in recent years, as political rhetoric has kind of been ratcheted up, I, I, I found myself straddling these two worlds where I would find myself in a, in a mostly white Christian 
space and hear the the conversation topics there. And then I would be in our multiracial congregation, which is located in a predominantly black neighborhood. Just a very different conversation. And and I realized that many of the things that to those majority white spaces seemed good, hopeful, exciting, um, were experienced in, in kind of the opposite way in our neighborhood and in our church. Some of the political rhetoric that's become very common in recent years felt very threatening and, and anxiety producing to people in our church and in our neighborhood. And when I started trying to have conversations about this with uh, white pastors, white white ministry leaders, just white friends. What I often was told was, well, um, you know, the, the people in your church, the people in your neighborhood just don't really understand this, you know, or that political rhetoric that sounds so frightening, it's it's not really going to happen. It's it, that those policies are never going to actually happen. And of course, we've seen that, in fact, the rhetoric is not just rhetoric, it gets implemented in policies. And anyways, the, the point is not to get real political. The point is like, I was experiencing just these two very, very different worlds. And those people in my church, mostly people of color in our neighborhood, they knew and were well-versed in what was happening in the majority white spaces. But the same was not true the other way around. And and that then led to this question for me. what What, what is the discipleship that is happening in our white ministries, white churches, that is not necessarily leading white Christians into greater relationship and greater solidarity with the entire body of Christ. Why is it that oftentimes white Christians seem very content to be distant from the rest of the body of Christ or to, to not even really know about the lived experiences and realities? And that so that was the question. That was the sort of thing I was like, I, I want to try to understand not the you know, not the sociological angle, but really the the discipleship angle. Because I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. This is what we do, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to understand about about that discipleship, and then could we imagine something different so that the body of Christ actually is is living in a way that is more uh, uh, unified, is in greater lived solidarity, bearing witness to the gospel together. Uh, that that was the genesis of the project. Yeah, and um. It's just it, good or bad timing, I guess, however you want to look at that, that this book comes out yeah. right at the beginning of one of the, you know, most brutal murders we've yeah. ever seen, you know, captured yeah. Yeah. in our country. And so um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, this this topic couldn't be more relevant for us to talk about. And people are obviously angry. They, they should be angry. And I think for the first time in a long mm -hmm. time, this issue is becoming – it's becoming uh, a con. It, we we can't ignore it in the white church anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like it's because right. we're becoming conscious of this um, issue uh -huh. in a way that we uh -huh. haven't been before. I mean, we've had um, definitely other other issues, and yeah. they they just kind of get swept by much quicker. Or and, and, and we, I, I do. I want to talk about some of the excuses that we that we make, and some of the white churches that we or the the language that we use to talk about why this happens because. I do think we need to accurately diagnose the problem so that and, – and I think you do a really good job of, of talking about this in your book where you do talk about some of the issues. You give really, really good language to it, to what white people believe and how they say things and how they react. And so like when I read it, I was like, oh, wow, this – this yeah, this is, this is really good. And so you do it really systematically. And then you also lay out a good vision for where we're trying to go. 
And so that's right. Again, I think a lot of these two things are missed in a lot of conversations um, where we just end up, you know, yelling back and forth about to each other about Mm -hmm, you're racist mm -hmm. or no, you're racist or, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't understand what, you know, that man's done to us being the president (laughs) since we're, you know, again, all of the politics then get wrapped up in this um, discussion too, really, really quickly. Um, Let's define our terms a little bit. We like, we love to do that. Sure. Cause again, that's where we're really, most of the time we end up talking past each other because we use terms Mm -hmm. like racism and races really, those are really good terms that we just, simply don't understand. And again, as you point out in our book, white Americans really don't understand these because it's not something that we're conscious of in our day-to-day life. Um, So so what are we talking about here when we talk about racism and race? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm really, I really appreciate you asking that question because I think it's, you know, I, I say this in the book about the word discipleship too. It's one of those words that we kind of bandy around a lot. And then you go, no, what, what do we actually mean by that? And we don't always mean the same thing yeah. when we use a word mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's, it's similar. Um, so when I'm thinking about race, I am thinking about something that was invented not all that long ago. We're talking about, you know, in the hundreds of years. I often will, will, will remind Christians that the reason we don't find the Bible talking about race because race wasn't a thing when the Bible was written, that, you know, there was ethnicity, there was culture, nations, but race was not invented. Race, um, as I try to get into the book, uh, comes about through this kind of perfect storm of co- colonialist, you know, endeavors, enlightenment thinking that is kind of categorizing the world in, in different sorts of ways. It has some unfortunate um theological heresies wrapped up in the development of it where the Jewishness of Jesus is detached from the person of Jesus and made into more of a European uh, you know, savior. All of these things come together such that as Europeans are beginning to uh, you know, leave Europe and and explore the rest of the world. They begin categorizing non-European people through a racial lens. And what's important to say about that is that that was never a neutral project. It was never a. I, I'm just pointing out difference for the sake of noticing difference. Behind that categorization was always the intention of creating a hierarchy of some kind. It was always meant to to put someone at the top and someone else at the bottom. That's the the origins of race. And so when we think today about white, black, Asian American, Latino, behind that is a is a pretty ugly history. And that that's not neutral. And that's a that's a, a that's just a, a fact of history that's important for us to reckon with. When I think about racism, then I'm thinking about a prejudice that gets expressed through that racial construct so that we we are prejudiced against somebody because of their because of their race. I I nuance this and I'm not alone in this in saying that racism is is a kind of race prejudice but also with the addition of power to it. Anybody can be prejudiced, right? You don't have to be any particular race or ethnicity to be prejudiced. You can be prejudiced for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, but I would I would want to argue that to to really be racist, you also need access to power, to systemic power. Um, and so in our context in America, when we're when I'm talking about racism, I'm really talking about those who have power, and that would that would be those of us who are white. 
again, anybody can be prejudiced based on race, but I think it's important to nuance that that power element, or else we we don't end up really reckoning with the damage that racism can do. One last thing I would just add here, and I think it's important for what we're seeing in our in our country right now. The, Racism can be expressed in very personal ways. You know, I can ha- I can have racism, you know, in myself, my own biases, but racism also works itself into our systems as well. And as Christian people, we're not surprised by this. We understand that it, we're sinners, and that that sin gets worked into the societies and, and systems that we create. So systemic racism is something that's very important to to acknowledge and and to and to reckon with. And we might get into this, but. Historically, white Christians have had a very hard time seeing that because of our more individual lens on the world. But the kinds of pressures that are kind of inflicted on people of color in, in this country usually isn't because one person had some racist thoughts towards them. It has more to do with how that gets baked into systems of, of inequality. Can you can you expand a little bit more? Uh, when you say white people have power, what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, it's it's a good question because um, there you know there's plenty of poor white people, right? There's plenty of of white people who who um, feel like they don't have a lot of power, and so it, it is important to say that um, you can be white and and not be wealthy and not have a lot of power, but. Once we start to understand the history of our country, once we start to understand the the way that that race is not just an individual thing, but that our country has been racialized, and I I talk about this in the book a little bit using the work of uh, Christian Smith and Michael Emerson, um, then we start to see that simply to be white is to be given a measure of of privilege that's not afforded to 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 other people in our country. And so to be white is to have access to more power just by virtue of something as arbitrary as skin color than than a person of color. Uh, One of the ways that we could think about this is uh, the way that, um, you know, many of the people in our church will talk about the um, the uh, the experience of, of driving while black. And what they mean by that is. How how much how regularly they get pulled over by police for simply being black and driving? Mm-hmm. Now that's never happened to me. I, there's, there's not there's no such thing as as driving while white, except maybe you know being given a warning instead of a ticket. You know, um, but but so so the the poorest white person still has access to that sort of privilege that the richest black person does not have access to. Um, that, that's how, how I think we would want to think about that, that power dynamic. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's dig into this a little bit, but, and, and I'm, I'm afraid we're going to end up having to spend most of our time here just because this is where I feel like the argument for us as white people have to be won and lost before we can actually accept the new discipleship practices that you present, which are excellent. If we're not willing to buy in to what the problem is, I don't think we're going to be willing to take the medicine that's prescribed to us. And so um, if if you're willing, I just want to let's talk. Let's throw back and forth some of the uh, the arguments that get thrown around. Yeah. And again, some of them that I'm struggling with, if I can if I can be honest, because um, like you use the example of the, uh, you know, police officer pulling over somebody Mm -hmm. uh, driving while black. I don't think anybody would actually disagree with that one. So I think that is a good one maybe to take. Um, mm. But I, I think like somebody like me, and I'll, I'll stand in for all white people here, <laughs> is, that, right, right. is that um, that doesn't that looks like that's an individual heart issue 
rather than yeah. systemic racism. Yeah. And again, you address this yeah. really well in the book where you're like, yeah. um, that's how, that's one of the white, that's one of the white peoples. That's that's a white person um, go-to response is to think of everything in these yeah. individualistic terms. Can you explain to yeah. us then, I think by way of getting at that, of how that is a systemic racism problem, not just an, an individual heart problem, this mm-hmm. idea of individualism that, is sort of one of these default mechanisms that we uh, that we talk about. Yeah, and and credit where credit is due. I'm borrowing here from the work in uh, Divided by Faith by Emerson and Smith, and they identify what they call these three uh, tools. I, I call them characteristics of of white Christians, and they are individualism, relationalism, and anti-structuralism. And, and we can certainly get into all of those. But individualism is this idea that we we navigate the world as individuals, that everyone has their own individual possibility and responsibility. And so that when something is wrong, you need to address that individually. Now, there's nothing wrong with that view. That There's so much that's good in that view, right? As a Christian, I want to say, yeah, I, I sin as an individual. I need to confess and repent and receive forgiveness, right? I need to own that. Um, but it's it's not it's not a complete vision of the world. It 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 leaves out a whole lot of reality just in terms of how groups of people and societies function, um, the way fo- culture functions. So again, if we want to stick with this this example of um, you know of people being pulled over uh, by the by the police, we have to zoom out for a second and look st- just statistically. At, at how this works. And when we start to see those trends across the board, across the country, um, then we have to start saying, th- this is not just an individual heart issue. There, there's there's some deeply embedded assumptions here that we need to get at. We need to, we need to reckon with that individual person, but that person doesn't exist in isolation. They exist within the culture of their particular police department. They exist within the culture of their particular town. Um, of of a of the of a of a country that has portrayed white people in a certain way and, and African American people in a, in a different kind of way, and so in in the same way that I think many of our white evangelical churches have thought about, um, you know things like you know hypersexuality in our culture, and we've thought about that. That's a systemic thing. That's a cultural reality, and we need and we realize many many of us that that we need to think about that as a a cultural reality a that is going to impact us. Right. It, very similar. We we want to do a, a similar kind of thing. Let's 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 look at the big picture. Okay. Are there some common themes, common trends? Then we need to take that into account and say, how might our discipleship actually start addressing that deep level? So, are 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 is a systemic problem and a cultural problem, uh, for the sake of argument, kind of the same thing? Or when when we talk about like a systemic racism problem, are we talking about a a cultural racism problem that we have in our culture here? Yeah, that's a great question, and and somebody who's smarter than me would give you a better answer. <laughs> Answer uh, to that, we could we could bring in a sociologist here who could help that. But yeah, for for from from my vantage point, there's there's going to be a whole lot of overlap there, because again, a culture 
when we're talking about a culture, we're talking about a group, right? We're talking about things that impact multiple people at a time for good or for bad. And so again, when we're talking about systemic things, we're talking about things that go beyond just one individual. They impact one individuals and individuals have choices to, to make within those systems. But if we never zoom out to take in to account the culture at large, the assumptions, the structures, the systems that that culture rests on, then we're we're um, we're we're never going to really get at what's impacting people in such negative ways. That's a really good point, especially when you make a comparison to another issue that you know is so easily easy for me, especially to agree with, is that hypersexualization. Um, it, it, it's easy to then see that and then say, oh yeah, okay, here's where I maybe am missing it over on this issue. And, and again, for white people, th this is the way that I've been processing things. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, white people, especially like our generation and younger, we've grown up in a society where race wasn't an issue. Like race it like we didn't have these massive structures of slavery and Jim Crow. And so like we grew up and, you know, I, 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 and I was from the South. And so, you know, I had went to schools and had black friends and I it never even crossed my mind that there was any sort of, you know, difference in the way that we were brought up, that they were treated any differently than, than I was. And so for, again, for a lot of us, racism wasn't an issue. Because our parents didn't make it an issue for us, whereas our black brothers and sisters, parents and grandparents did deal with it. So they inherited that that system. And so, like, you know, again, like slavery and Jim Crow and these these certain parts of the system do get abolished. And so for white people, they go away. They just they didn't exist. And so now we we kind of um, we're blind to them. I think there's there is some intentional blindness that we look away. Um, but for the most part, I think it's just ignorance on our part because we're not looking. And um, this is where we really struggle to then see, hear, and listen to our black brothers and sisters and, and, and then quite frankly believe them when they say, wait a second, there's racism here. Um, like, and I'll give you an example, I'll give you an example where uh, like we have a friend in this ministry group that we are part of and he, he had wrote in this um, social media group that we have and he told of an experience that he had at a fast food restaurant here where he went up to the counter and he tried to get something and he was treated, um, you know, poorly, um, definitely not prompt service. And my first reaction to that was, well, yeah, but that happens to me all the time. How do you know that was racism? Mm. Because, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. personally, that does sound like just typical Springfield <laughs> uh, customer <laughs> service. Just don't care about their jobs, and so you get yeah. treated badly. Like, in fact, it was a couple months ago, our two families went in there to eat. It same, was before, exact, same, same exact place. The exact same place. Um, and they looked at us like, what are you doing here? And so we were like... <laughs> That's right. And, and so, anyway, it's... I think these are the – I'm not diminishing that. It may have been racism. It may not have been. I think the issue here and, and maybe the issue that you're, you can help us um, address it, but I think it's the point that you're trying to, to really raise is that we have to be willing to enter into the conversation and listen to these people and hear their experiences. Like, So how am I supposed to navigate these two things where like I think I want to have that conversation with him? But I'm terrified to have that kind of a conversation for fear. I don't I don't want to isolate him or demean his mm -hmm. experience in any sort of mm -hmm. way, but I do want to 
try and understand and ask questions to, uh, you know, to get at what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate that question and, and the story. Um, and I, I'm glad that, that this can be a conversation that's, you know, that, that you're, we can be really honest, uh, this way. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that story sort of gets at some of what I was feeling early on in this project of, um, you know, having, having people of color and, and be very clear, I'm talking about Christians here, right? Mm-hmm. Christians of color say, you know, here's my experience and, and having the, the, the response generally be not one of curiosity from, from the white Christian, right? Not one of like, oh, wow, I didn't know, or tell me more about that. But instead being one of more defensiveness, mm-hmm. like, no, that didn't really happen. Or no, they were just probably having a bad day or, um, no, that, you know, um, yeah, racism kind of mostly went away after we elected President Obama, right? Like that, that kind of response. And, and, and what I, what, what, what troubles me about that is the, what I read in scripture and the, the New Testament particularly about the church is that we are in fact sisters and brothers to one another, that we, through the, the shed blood of Jesus, through the baptismal waters, have in fact been made family to one another and family to the extent that it it is more family to us now as Christians than our biological family is to us, right? I mean, I was reading the passage today in Matthew where Jesus says a sword will divide, you know, sister from brother and father from mother. I mean, that's a hard word, right? But I think that's the gospel that we proclaim, that when we follow Jesus, we leave everything behind and we are now united into this into this new family, and so I, I think that's the that's the part for me that I want to say as white Christians, I want us to be bothered by that. I, I want us to say, I want us to wonder why is it that we oftentimes seem to share more in common with white non Christians mm-hmm. than with Christians of color? That that breaks my heart, mm-hmm. you know. Like that's the thing that keeps me awake at night. Um, in part because I I really believe what the Bible says about the church. And I really believe that the, the people of God are meant to bear witness to a God who so loved the world mm-hmm. that he sent his son, right? That's that's the, the unity of the church is, is meant to be. So I think when it comes to posture in those kinds of moments, what I think for myself at least is when I'm confronted with something like that was just so outside of my experience, or I think, well, I, I never would even connected race mm-hmm. to this. I want to say, this is my brother in Christ, and so I want, I want to know, I want to be in this thing with, even if it's totally confusing and overwhelming, even if it's pushing some of my buttons, I want, I want to sit in this place with him because, because we are family in Christ and he knows a whole lot that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he's experienced a whole lot that I'll never experience. And so he is an expert in some things that I am completely a novice in. That's the posture I desire for myself, um, in, in those kinds of moments. And and I think that then leads to all sorts of really great conversations, right? Because now we're we're proving ourselves to be worthy conversation partners. We're not here to, out here to prove a point. We're not trying to defend all white people. We're not, you know what I mean? Like that, that that's not our goal. Our goal is is empathy. Our goal is solidarity with our with our sisters and brothers. I think those conversations get really, really fruitful. Um, I also think, to be brutally honest, that many Christians of color are not expecting that of white people. Mm that they're expecting more surface level conversations because they realize that when the conversations go toward race, many of us who are white, we, we opt out, mm-hmm. you know, we either get real defensive 
we started to feel shame or guilt, you know, we shut down. And, and so they, you know, they, they realize that, that oftentimes, you know, white people are not going to be able to go there. But if we can, you know, then this is, I think there's a lot of spiritual maturity that's necessary in these kinds of conversations, right? If we can sit there, I think things can get really, really good. That's a good, good point because um, th- that's just basic good discipleship practice anyway is to just be willing to sit with someone and like it's been a theme that we've been talking about and learning lately um like to let somebody be wrong for instance and to simply just walk with them as they're wrong now i'm not saying that that person was wrong or our friend was wrong but like we might be wrong in that in that case and so but it's okay to be wrong and to still walk with our brother or sister and let yeah. the spirit do his work in their life at the rate that it's going to take. Because like so much, this is the problem that I see then with, with our response. And, um, and you actually mentioned it in the book. It's, it's kind of one of the pros to the white church a little bit, but we take it like and run really awry with it where it's like, we're, we are willing to move really, really fast on an issue if we think that mm-hmm. there's something broken. And so like, mm-hmm. I mean, ask Josh, I have been hopping <laughs> mad for the last few weeks because I'm like, yep. I'm just like, I'm literally running around like, okay, Let's just let's have that conversation. Let's fix racism. Let's just do it. I mean, yeah, come on, yeah, 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 we can yeah. get our, we can get this done in a weekend if we if we really wanted to. And <laughs> and like, I, you know, and and it comes from a good place because you know your heart is breaking. But I think you're also pointing out another again. This book, I I, I know I'm, this is just going to turn into me ranting because <laughs> um, your book has challenged me. Like few books have, if I can be honest here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, your book is challenging me. I, I read this one book on Trinitarian theology. It was like four or 500 pages. It took me like seven months to read it just because it was so deep. And, you know, it's like one of those where you have to read like a little section and then put it down and think about it and then come yes. back. And like your book has done that to me, except I've had to like read it in about a week. <laughs> and so like, I'm like, like there's been time, like I even read it this weekend. I was like, okay, I got to take a nap. Like, I just got to let that, I don't even know what to do with that yet. And so it's been very, I feel that in myself where I am feeling ashamed. I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling yeah. guilt and I don't know how to deal with it because like I, I didn't cause racism. Like to my knowledge, I right. haven't done any of these right. horrible racist atrocities. So again, you're dealing right. with, okay, well then what is my role in apologizing? Can, can I repent of something that I haven't done? Um, all that to say is I think you summarize this pretty well when you talk about this issue of whiteness. Now I've watched a couple Mm. of like actually academic lectures from professors from like Fuller and stuff like that, where they talked about Mm -hmm. whiteness. And I, and again, I'll be honest, I was very offended to hear this term thrown around whiteness. I, you know, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And again, you call it in the book, like us white people, we do not want to be called white. Yeah. Cause we don't think right. of ourselves in racialized terms. That's right. That's right. So exactly. tell us why it's okay to be racialized or, or at least why everybody else yes. thinks that we are. And we're the only ones yeah. that don't know it. Yeah. It's such a complicated conversation, isn't it? it? Is. I mean, they're just <laughs> layers upon layers upon layers. And, and, and I want to just say something about that. If we can be meta for just a yeah, second, go for it. like, I, again, I'm a Christian, right? I think and I'm I'm a like I believe the stuff in the Bible. I'm that guy, I'm that kind of Christian, right? So I really believe that there is an enemy of God whose whose primary tactic is to deceive and then to make those those deceptions as confusing as possible. I really believe that. 
this stuff can feel really challenging to get into. But I think again, as a Christian, I think, okay, but we can do this, right? Like this is, this is, we have the Holy spirit. We don't have to be afraid of this stuff. We, 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 we follow the one who claims to be truth itself. So it can feel a little like we're jumping in the deep end, but we're, we're okay. We're good. Um, yeah. So whiteness. Um, okay. So a couple things to say about this, the, 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 the construction of race that we talked about earlier is really about the construction of whiteness. And what I mean by that is that you know, my 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 immigrant ancestors came from, as, as far as I know, Germany, Sweden, maybe English. None of them came to this country thinking of themselves as white, right? Mm-hmm. They they came with their own accented English, with their own stories, traditions, histories. But when they got here, they had to leave a lot of that stuff behind. So Svensson became Swanson because that was you know people could pronounce that right. Now the only thing that I know about my Swedishness at this point is something that's called fruit soup that you serve at Christmas time. It's a cold <laughs> fruit soup and it, it doesn't sound great. It's actually quite delicious, uh, kind of like a dessert. Does that mean like I'm Swedish? Is that, mm. no, I'm not right. I, all of that stuff kind of had to get left, left behind in order to, and, and this is the, this is the key part in order to move up the, the racial hierarchy in this country. So the closer to that white standard that you are, then the more access that you have to the, the, the so-called American dream. And the farther from that you are, the least access that you have to that. And a quick glance at any study of who has access to generational wealth, who lives close to a toxic weight site, you know, who dies giving birth to, you know, to, to, to children, all of these things kind of bear bear that out. So I am white, right? Like I, I'm not only white, I'm, I'm other things too, but I, I, I am, I'm white. But like you said, those of us in the racial majority in this country don't really have to think about that stuff because we're in the majority. So we can think of ourselves as just individuals. I'm just David, you know, who are you? How do you identify? I'm David. I don't want to talk about being a white man. I just, I'm just David, right? But nobody else in this country has that luxury. Everybody else who is in a minority status, they have to think about what that status means in relationship to this racial hierarchy that we exist in. What does my Latino-ness mean? What does the fact that I still have an accent mean? What does my, you know, what does my, my blackness mean in this? I have to think about those things as I navigate this hierarchy. So those of us who are white think of ourselves as sort of this this sort of you know off-white beige background. We don't, it's just there, it's the neutral background. And then we think about anybody who's not white is sort of standing out in relief from that background, right? So, you know, black, brown, different race, ethnicity, culture. Uh, and we don't realize that we have our own particularities, that we have our own history. And there's all kinds of reasons for this. Um, but but that's one of the luxuries of being white. We don't have to think about those kinds of particularities. We think of ourselves, when we think of ourselves, as sort of this cultural standard of neutrality. Um, we're not anything. We're just individuals. Everybody else is a little bit something, right? So I've heard white people say, I'm just kind of jealous that I don't have a culture like my African-American friend, like like my Latino friend. Well, no, we do have a culture. It's just that we haven't had to think about it because it's the majority culture and it's perceived as, as being neutral. Um, so there's all sorts of challenges that come along with that for those of us who are white Christians to, to actually get to the point where we can say, no, I am perceived as being white in this country. And there's a really sad, ugly history behind that. 
But to not acknowledge that is to only end up doing more damage because I'm not aware then of those particularities. I'm not aware of that history that has actually hurt sisters and brothers in Christ. So even though the construction of race itself is, a, is an evil historical reality, it's the broken world we live in, right? And I'm pretty convinced that until Jesus comes back, some vestige of this is going to still carry on. So rather than you, you talked about that shame and guilt feeling, I want to say as white Christians, yes, there may be moments of shame and guilt. That's okay. That's part of confessing our sin. But part of spiritual maturity is taking responsibility, is saying, okay, I— I am perceived as white. There have been some privileges afforded to me, not by my own choice, but simply by virtue of being born into this to this world. I, I, as a white person, am going to take responsibility of that, of that, in order to 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 um, you know lean into these these relationships and into solidarity with with the rest of the body of Christ. How does acknowledging those things, I guess, bring about solidarity? Uh, yeah, that. Sorry. I, yeah, go I, ahead. I, I go ahead. You. Go ahead. That was pretty well, shit. So, so I, the re- I, I think the main reason, the main way this this happens is that your your friend in, in that story earlier about the restaurant, he 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 thinks about you as being white, right? You might not think of yourself that way, but he thinks about you as being. He thinks about himself as being black. Again, he needs to, right, in order to to kind of navigate this country, and so a big part of me acknowledging my own whiteness in this racialized society it 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 puts me in the like it makes me more able to have these conversations with people who are not white right um i i am able to talk more particularly about my own experience they're able to share with me how they have experienced white people and know that i'm not going to freak out or run away from the table with my hair on fire when when they do that right it 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 allows us to come closer because we're acknowledging um the the particularities of our experience now oftentimes white christians get that twisted and think oh you're just creating division you know by pointing out difference you're creating division no that's that's not how it works when in, in the new testament and the epistles particularly particularity is actually the stuff of the community right it's not everybody become you know a gentile greco-roman it's we have jews we have gentiles we have slave we have free right and 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 we're going to now see this beautiful mosaic in this early church that bears witness to to to, to God. So so white people have been conditioned, I would say, discipled by our culture to not that particularity, uh, and that ends up actually, I think, doing damage. So owning it, good, bad, and in between, allows us to to draw closer to those sisters and brothers who are very in touch with with the particularities of their of their own experience. But isn't the, um, to that point, cause I think, you know, this is the conversation that happens all the time, right? You're pointing out the problem. Isn't the church though, supposed to be not the erasure of that, but isn't the church in Christ, there is no more slave or free or Jew or Gentile. How do we, how do we keep our, again, the, the goal is definitely not to become a colorblind society because that's obviously wrong. And, you know, I think it's fine to celebrate who we are, not fine. It's good. We should celebrate. Um, but at the same time, those differences can't be a point of contention. We have to have new identities. We have to recognize our new identities as children of God and have that be our, our common point here. Right. Absolutely. I, absolutely. I mean, that 
Christ is always a magnet strong enough, right? Christ is always the center. And, and so, so I, I think, I think what we what we don't want is to erase those differences, thinking if we can erase those differences, then that'll be enough to hold us together. No, Christ is enough to hold us together, right? Which I think is what you're saying. Yes. Well, and I think that's a good point to what, again, what white, I think white people think about what other races would call whiteness that we recoil against is really just being an American. Like if you ask people, mm-hmm. like it, mm-hmm. it, it, that's the American dream, like you say. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want to do that? That's what it means to be an American. You leave behind mm-hmm. whatever identity you were coming from, and now you embrace that identity as an American. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think this is where, again, this is one of those weird nuances where you have to get real detailed in how you look at like yeah. our, the empire of the world versus the kingdom of God right. and how yeah. our identities there, we work on them out of being in the world, but not of the world and new, new creatures yeah. in Christ and, and how that yeah. works. But it, it does seem like it's a eerily similar thing that what whiteness is purporting for a political identity of Americanness is mm-hmm. a, it, it's a twisting of what I think the church should be, which is that, that, that body that really does bring unity to us all mm-hmm. under Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, so let's talk about some of these practices that you lay out in the book, these discipleship practices that can bring about, help us, help us uh, re-disciple ourselves and bring about solidarity um, with our brothers of uh, different races. Um, first off, yeah, lay out what solidarity is. What is the goal here when we as white people are partaking in these new or re-discipling practices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, this this really came from conversations over the years with with white pastors who were serving in, you know, majority white congregations, town, suburbs, rural areas, who actually were really interested in racial reconciliation, um, but just felt like there was nothing that they could really do because this is a lily one. So what am I gonna do? Right. So they would say, David, we love what you're doing, praying for you. Uh not really my thing. And I heard that and I, I was like, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. But I, I think as we start to to understand more more clearly what we're talking about here, where um, you know, where, where issues of, of race and racism are not simply something that's over there, but are in fact with, within the experience of white people, then we say, oh, actually, there's room for all of us to do something here. There's 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 a place for for every you know, white congregation, white ministry to join in this spiritual battle for the reconciliation of, of, of the church. Um so I, I think solidarity is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, right? Uh, and and the, the thing, again, that breaks my heart is that racial segregation in this country has functioned in such a way that we don't even know who's weeping. Mm. We don't even know who's rejoicing, right? So, I mean, that's true in my city. Uh, you know, here here in Chicago, you, you could drive five miles, 10 miles, and be in a majority white setting. People worshiping the same God, living in the same or less same atmosphere, and yet have no idea. Uh, the experience of, um, say, you know, African American church in in one of the neighborhoods in our city, right? Um, so I, I, that's what I want to see changed, right? I, I want, I want those of us who are white Christians to say, those are our sisters and brothers, and we are going to be more bound by our faith than by our race. And so, when my sister is suffering, I'm going to suffer with her, and I, I'm going to stand with her. When my brother is rejoicing. Boy, I, I want to know that testimony because it's going to benefit, you know, my faith as well too. So that, that's the hope. That's that. I mean, it's a, it's a, 
impossible vision at times, but I, I do think that's what God wants for for the church. So I'm not I'm the vision is not that every white church becomes a multiracial church. Maybe some will, right? But first we got to get at this discipleship stuff that I would say has left many white churches content in our racial segregation for for way, way too long, has has left us mostly disinterested in that kind of solidarity. Um, that's what we need to get at first. And and that's hard work. But again, the really good thing is that it's work for all of us, that we don't outsource that, that we, every one of us gets to be about the ministry of reconciliation for the sake of the church. Mm-hmm. And um, to that point, you know, because we, we live at a very predominantly white, it's like 99% white. So we're kind of in like one of those camps, not again, not that there's not any black people that live here, um, but just being the majority, the majority of churches are still going to be all white. So I think this is a good point. Um, Another point though, that I would like to, to say to this idea of um, uh, like this white church and black church, if I can go back just for a second, Mm -hmm. again, many Mm -hmm. of us who are white will lament that being a thing. Well, why do you got to mm-hmm. call it white and black and make these two mm-hmm. distinctions? Shouldn't we be the church? And yep. again, I think it is a shame that, because the church should be the church. We don't need to have these distinctions. But um, if anybody's looking for a good series on this to watch, Amazon has a series called The Color of Compromise um, yeah. that discusses this. And he in it, he said – he made this statement. The reason why the black church exists is because the white churches existed and made it so. And again, that's yeah. one of those like wake up calls where it's like, oh man, okay. Right. It's kind of a gut punch. Yeah, right? exactly. And then it's like, again, I think, I think once we can realize that, this is how it connects, we start to see how these practices, even though we're not necessarily doing them, you know, in a multi-ethnic congregation, they are part yep. of our, our discipleship process that has to happen Absolutely. within us. And so, that's um, right. Like again, you make this point, and I love it. The goal is not just having, you know, a certain quota of different people, or you know, it is about discipleship. Um, Let's talk about like it's the first one you you start with, and it's one that we're really passionate about. We've talked about, um, which is uh, communion or the Eucharist Mm -hmm. as being Mm -hmm. a practice or table fellowship is bring a practice that can Mm -hmm. bring about this sort of reconciliation. Because like right off the bat, man, this. This one seems to hold a lot of promise, and it's a really easy one for us to all be able to yeah. participate in. So what That's can right. we do? That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and just real quickly to go back uh, for folks who are listening, uh, I think the series you're referencing is uh, Jamar Tisby's uh, work there. Yep, yeah. Yep. And it's, it is super, super good. It reminds me of something one of my friends in the neighborhood who pastors uh, one of the, an, an older African-American church. He says, he says there, was, there would be no black church if you all had accepted us in the first yep. place. Uh, and, and again, that's like, oh, right. That's, that's why we have to talk about mm-hmm. this, right? This is why we can't just be, be generalized in our language. Yeah. So the idea with these practices is to try to identify things that we're, most churches are already doing already. I'm thinking about discipleship in a very corporate lens here. Um, not, not individuals participate obviously, but the, the, we do these things together and I wanted to try to identify stuff that, you know, have you ever read a book? Uh, that's really well-intentioned, but you just feel like, oh man, I'm gonna have to reinvent the whole thing to get at this. Mm-hmm. You just feel tired after the re- I didn't want to do that in this book, right? I wanted people to feel like, oh, we already, yeah, we we celebrate Holy Communion regularly. Like, okay. So that was the idea here. And uh, yeah, like like yourselves, I mean, communion is the, it, it it's the, the kind of organizing reality for our fellowship, right? Um, and I think whether a church celebrates it 
you know, weekly or monthly. It has to do with its 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 sort of really sacred nature. Um, so one of the things I I I, I wrestled with as I, as I thought about communion is the way that white Christians, I think, have been discipled to think in very individualistic terms when we come to the table. So when we think about that verse, you know, examine yourself, examine your heart, is there any confessed sin before you come? We're, we're thinking individually, and that's, we should do that. We should not stop doing that. But when we find Paul's language to the church in Corinth really harsh and direct, he's thinking about a corporate situation here, right? Where 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 a wealthier group of people are taking advantage of a of a poor they basically they are bringing the socioeconomic system of their day to table fellowship with them and it drives Paul nuts he says that this is opposed to the gospel you know he's he's angry about it well i think that we do a similar thing when it comes to race I think we bring the racialized assumptions of our society with us to the table. And what that means is that we come as individuals. We are not thinking about ourselves within uh, the larger body of Christ. We're not thinking about how a system of, of race is privileging some of us and, 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 and really marginalizing and oppressing sisters and brothers in Christ. And so I think one basic way to start tweaking that, reimagining it, would be to help white Christians see the corporate nature of our fellowship in Christ. When 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 Christ uh, uh, gave himself for, for us and our salvation, he reconciled us to the Father, but also to one another. Our koinonia is a corporate reality. We don't get to opt in or opt out of that. We can ignore it, but it's ours in Christ, right? It's an objective reality, to borrow a, a theologian's language. Um, so I think white Christians could be nudged in that direction so that when we hear the invitation to the table, our instinct is to not just think individually, but to also think, who do I belong to? Who am I related to in Christ? And what does the nature of our fellowship coming to the table proclaim about that truth in a really beautiful way? And what's lacking? What's missing when we come to the table? Maybe we can't do anything about it right now, but we can at least acknowledge it. Maybe there's a little bit of lament, right, that accompanies our, our celebration as we long for what Jesus promised to us. Maybe then there's some things that a church could do on occasion. It's a once a year you know, service with another church where you make sure you're celebrating Holy Communion together at that service, right? Many of our white Christians have never had the opportunity to be served the Eucharist by a person of color. They've never seen a, a, a person of color stand in that place of authority with the body and the bread and, and hear those sacred words pronounced over them. So, so those would be the kinds of, I think once we see some of the latent possibility, I hope someone would read a chapter like this and go like, yeah, I could do a couple of those things, but man, there's 10 things you didn't even think about that in my context, we could start doing tomorrow around mm -hmm. the Lord's Supper. Like one of the things that you mentioned that some churches um, have it done, in fact, Josh and I uh, experimented with this. We planted a house church a couple years back now, and we wanted to make communion a really central part of what we did. And so we, we, did a full blown meal. <laughs> yes, and and yes. so, and we did it, we did both, right? We did both the, the traditional communion and the full blown meal. And like to kind of kick it yep. off with like something that we were familiar with, but it just kind of really to make yeah. the whole meal come underneath yep. this idea of celebrating yep. the, yeah. the Lord's supper together. Yeah. Which I think is what the new Testament church did often. Yeah, right? Exactly. And, and it just, Again, it helps you clarify. I mean, I think there's there's good places for you know doing the traditional communion. You get the 
the wine or mm-hmm. the juice and the and the bread and and you know you've you, you have more of that somber moment of the Last Supper, but but then there's another great place for again what the not what the the Corinthian church was doing, but uh, what the early church was doing, and that that was that koinonia fellowship, yes. and um, yes. man, especially to do that, I think between churches, you know, yeah, like even if those churches weren't churches of different colors, again, depending on what your city's demographic was made up of, I think would be such an important thing because man, we yeah. get in our little bubbles and we start right. to think that we're the only people of God and everybody else is doing it wrong, and um, but right. man, I can't think of a more yeah. That that is just an incredibly powerful experience, I think, to be able to break bread like that, and uh, you know, to really <laughs> get to know people. Well, I think the word yeah. incarnational really mm-hmm. hits me in, in all of this. I mean, we talk about solidarity, we talk about acknowledging, mm-hmm. we talk about mm-hmm. uh, really just stepping in with our brothers and sisters and experiencing things, uh, which is really what Christ has done by becoming yep. human. Yep. And That's identifying right. with us in our weaknesses, which is what yep. the, the author of Hebrews talks about. And so mm-hmm. I think for us to 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 not acknowledge our, our inherent biases or our blind spots or to, to even be willing to talk to someone else about yep. it is really to ignore the incarnational model that Christ has given yes. us and, yes. say, and basically yes. say, I'm not going to step into your world because That's I don't. Right in a sense, value your world. That's right. That's right. And, and, and I don't have to, you know, as a person in a majority culture, I, I don't have to. A, a minority culture person does have to, right? They do have to enter my world oh, yeah. regularly. Now that's yeah. the definition but, of privilege right there. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. A, a friend of ours here in the city says privilege is the ability to walk away. And that's something I can do, right? I, yeah. I can walk away. And and I think a lot of what we're tr- I'm trying to get at in this book is is to pull against that tendency and say, instead of walking away, what if we walked toward? What if we sat with? What if even that tendency you mentioned earlier to try to fix that thing really quick, yeah, right? Yeah. What if instead of that we, we lamented? What if yeah. you know? What if what if we what we kind of rested in this place and and learned and listened? What might the Holy Spirit? And do? that's why I really like what you're saying about communion because if you're sitting down to a meal with somebody. There's something yes. about that that you just can't get away from. Like you're going to have yeah, to exactly. talk to somebody yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Lament has been another good practice that has come up of late as a good, great, incredible response. And I, I do, mm-hmm. I think this lament has to characterize this entire season. It, even entry right wrote uh, a piece um, in time, I think mm-hmm. just, and that was on mm-hmm. COVID-19 as far as lamenting yep. the meeting together. Um, with ourselves, yeah. and now it just continues in, in such a, uh, a a somber season that we're in. And so, man, maybe yes. God is really trying to call us through this lament in, in a way that um, we 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 really really need in our churches. You know, and it's and it's weird. We resist this, and yet oh, yeah. this is the thing. This is the most fundamental aspect of what the church teaches. Mm. Is right is to like we'll just I'll use the ABCs of salvation. We need to accept, believe, and confess. Well, we need to accept mm-hmm. that this is going mm-hmm. on, this racism with our brothers yep. and sisters. Yep. We need to believe yep. them and, and sit with yep. the situation that we have at hand and then confess our complicity or, or yep. Our, yep. our sins yep. in this situation. And yet, for some yep. reason, it's the most difficult thing for us to do. And yeah. But that's the story of sin. I, I really want I, – I think – boy, I love how you just said that. Here's my theory of why it's so difficult. 
I mean, sin's always difficult to confess, right? But I, I think we got to admit there's a, there's a kind of stronghold around this thing related to race. I think it has to do with the fact that for, for most of white American Christian history, we've not identified it as a sin. Mm. We've not, we've not in the same way, like we talked about hypersexuality before, right? Here's a cultural dynamic that we need to be aware of. You know, we need to, to, to think about clearly we need, when we get entrapped in that, we need to confess. We've not done that with race. And so and there's a sense in which we've kind of abandoned white Christians to this racialized society. And when we do that, uh, this is a, a scary thing to say out loud, but I really do think this happens. We can actually conflate our Christianity with this kind of racial whiteness. They can kind of blend together. You know, it's just it becomes that neutral. So now we're in a position to try to actually be more precise about this and, and outline that a little bit and take a scalpel to it. And it feels like taking a scalpel to it, right? It's like, oh, this is painful because I've not I've not seen this in connection with my faith before. You know, I've not thought about this biblically or theologically. I've not seen this as part of my discipleship to Jesus, my sanctification, my spiritual maturity. Um, and so I think because of that, it's really important for pastors and ministry leaders who are being convicted right now, I, I got to do something. We need to count the cost first. There, there's going to be some pushback that comes. <laughs> you might lose some tithers, right? Um, and we need to come to interpret that as the work of the Holy Spirit and not a chance to, to back mm -hmm. away. So so leadership, I think, in this becomes really, really important for the reasons that, that you were hinting at before. Are, there's some settings where white Christians are, are really asking for this. But the nature of it is that many of us are not because we've been kind of left content in the system as it is. So when we start pushing in this direction, uh, it, it's going to shake some things up. And so we got to be careful. We got to be pastoral. We got to be thoughtful about how we do that. But leadership is really, really important. Yeah. And um, it, it gets it gets, I think, nuance as well. Like you you were mentioning, I think, before we, we uh, started recording is we need real nuance in this discussion because our when we talk about this thing, we get so wrapped up in all of the issues and most of these things, it's so multi-layered and most of us haven't thought through each of those layers individually yeah. to know where we stand. Right. Cause so again, if you come out saying, um, you, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm for my, uh, black brothers and sisters in the racism mm -hmm. thing. And, and you're like, Oh, so you want to cancel the police? And it's like, <laughs> right, 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 what? Right, right. I did, you know, like, we, we leaps that get exactly, made exactly. And so I do want to underscore, at least for the church, and, and it's it's been something the Spirit's been uh, teaching me through reading this book, and, and I think lately in, in this conversation, is that I'm not going, I not only am I not going to be the one to solve it, I can't be. And that's mm -hmm. got to be his work in me right. and through me right. and, and in my brothers and sisters. And so um, yeah. I, I can't do anything to change anybody's heart, and that even includes my own to a large degree. That's right. It should that's bring right. a level of humility to exactly. the entire experience. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. if we get so caught up in thinking that we can solve it, or even, let's say for the sake of argument, that we want to adopt an incarnational model and go and stand with our brothers and sisters, huh? even in the mm -hmm. middle of that, we can have this sense of, I'm superior, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, just yeah. going to humor you, I'm going to... I'm going to patronize yeah. you for just a second and let you yeah. Yeah. let you talk and, and try to understand you so that I can then fix you, which is not oh, yeah. at all the way that Christ approaches no. these things. I mean, no. look at if you've done any serious looking or, or soul searching of, of your own life, you can look and see how patient God is over time. <laughs> oh, my and goodness. And so, yeah. oh, my goodness, if, if you're going to yeah. do anything in this, 
be humble and be willing to just be wrong. <laughs> well, and that that gets at a big one for me, which is the the danger of self righteousness in any of this. And I, I see it in all directions. You know, that the the person who the white person who's totally resistant to this conversation because in their own self righteousness, nope, this is not an issue. I'm good. You know, don't have to think about it. I see it on the other side, you know, with a white Christian who's kind of woken up to this reality. And now anybody who's not where I am, you know, is I don't you know, you're you're, you're not yeah. woke. You're not you know, you're, you're not you're not really. So 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 that that tendency is completely antithetical to any of the actual good work of the spirit that needs to be done in our lives. And of course, we know how dangerous self-righteousness is to any kind of discipleship, right? Well, it's it's true here as well yeah. too. We we depend solely on the righteousness of Christ for for this um, for this kind of transformation. David, thank you so much for being with us today. I feel like I could talk to you for a couple more hours and then and just wrestle <laughs> and let's let's you know just keep going. This has been a pleasure. Um, and so I can't wait to learn more from you, following your work. Continue to read your book because, again, it's going to have to be a reread and a reread to chew on some of these things um, and then to go down some of the rabbit trails of, uh, you know, yeah, um, yeah. like a Christian Smith and Michael Emerson's work, like you've yeah. mentioned a couple of times already. I, I, I need mm-hmm. to look into them. But um, where can people go to find yeah. out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, uh, simple uh, website, dwswanson.com is sort of the hub for sign up for a weekly newsletter. The social media stuff is all there. I'm a pastor, so that's mostly what I do, uh, but do try to find ways to to keep this conversation going for hopefully for the good of the church. Absolutely. And again, I would like you guys got to go read this book. It will challenge you in an unbelievable way. It will be hard. You will get angry. You will lament, yep. but keep on persevering through it because it's something that we need to uh, we need to read. So um, thank you so much for your work and your time. Thanks to you both for having me on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. One of the things that hit me hardest during this conversation was the lack of willingness so many white people, myself included, have to simply walk with a brother or sister in Christ in their pain, regardless of whether we feel the pain is legitimate or not. So if you're struggling to get into the conversation on racism, start there. Find a friend and just listen to them. Be willing to experience their pain alongside them. This kind of action isn't a remedy that's particular to racism. It's what God calls us to do. And it's what Paul means when he calls us to mourn with those who mourn. Another good way to learn more is by picking up a copy of David's book, Rediscipling the White Church. There are a lot more practices and things we can do to make a change in our lifestyles of discipleship to better love our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Seriously, go get a copy. It's a challenging but necessary read for creating a lifestyle of discipleship. There are so many things to be done right now, and so many voices claiming priority in our lives right now. But the best place to start is in our own lives by making those little shifts in the everyday moments of life that help us better love people the way Jesus loves them. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him 
in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about David's work, check out dwswanson.com. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.